economics is the study of human choice in the world we live. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. By investigating faith in economics, we can learn how they lead to human flourishing. This is the Faith in Economics podcast, a presentation of the Gortney Institute at Ottawa University. Welcome to our show today. I'm Nate Johnson, the producer and graduate assistant for the Gortney Institute. Today on our show, we have Dr. Russ McCullough, the founder of the Gortney Institute and Wayne Angel Chair of Economics. We also have Dr. Justin Clark, the Menard Family Professor of Philosophy and Ethics. We also have Dr. Peter Jacobson, the Gortney Professor of Economic Education and Research. And finally, my fellow producer and graduate assistant, Luke Graham. All right. So Luke found some sort of article on misinformation. We have all kinds of information floating around fake news, and that's almost an old hat thing. I don't even know if anybody uses fake news anymore, but that type of thing going on with, uh, I guess, elections was the hot button. And so you found a, kind of an interesting article you wanted to bring to our attention? Yeah, I, I have this article from the Daily Wire. It's entitled, The Myth of Fact-Checking, How Facebook Created the World's Largest Censorship Operation. And it's written by Mark Hemingway, and it, it starts off with using an example from the 2020 presidential election where we've seen a widespread use of political censorship, especially in media. And Facebook was quite behind this with algorithms and other sorts of ways to limit what kind of speech is being spread on their site, especially if it was political themed. There was a point where, in throughout the article, where it says that the Mark Hemingway was working for a specific editor and they had a fact checker that was working from Facebook, specifically for Facebook getting paid by Facebook to fact check these papers before they were even published. So Facebook already had an advantage with the knowledge of these of the information before it's even public because one, they're getting to edit these papers before they're even out. And then second, the Facebook fact checker were to say something about their own fact checking. Uh, that's not allowed either. So in the article, it, it shows that the, the fact checker within his organization said something that his answers should not be absolute because Facebook would take their fact checkers response. And if it was negative or for they found false information, that site would be blacklisted and receive 80% less action than it would previously. So basically these factors became the say yay or nay when it comes to what's being published and how often it gets seen on Facebook. Sounds a little bit more like a gatekeeper rather than a fact checker. <laughs> And uh, maybe should we even be surprised about this? You know, part of me thinks if there's room for human discretion or intervention or corruption and it's and we don't have transparency or other forms of double checks or accountability, then we shouldn't really be surprised. I mean, it's always kind of bothered me with this fact checker business. Yeah, I agree. And th this isn't you know, super surprising to see a lot of social media platforms, I think, increasingly are trying to get rid of intense political discussion, I think partly because they fear the ramifications of that being allowed on their platforms. And by that, I mean, like political ramifications. And this has been, you know, pretty clearly documented that not only are the, these fact checking things going on, but like this trend is true in other ways, like Facebook has deprioritized political content. And, you know, I, I do some writing for fee occasionally, and this is something that I've heard from them and they've heard from their analytics people that basically all political stories right now on Facebook tend to get like much lower traffic than even just a few months ago. I object to fact checking 
done by these supposed authorities generally. For I think the reason that you were pointing out earlier, Russ, is in when you said you were skeptical of it. The idea that there are these dispassionate or you know disinterested people who are merely looking to see whether or not the propositions which you are stating match up with the actual facts on the ground. I think every single bit of that picture is wrong. Nobody's, these people aren't disinterested. And I mean, I also wrote a dissertation on this idea that you can't even actually do the thing that, uh, but, uh, let's leave that aside, right? Uh, we could well, call that might them, be interesting to get into. I okay. was just thinking about, you know, what exactly is a fact? Yeah. We can just say, say whether or not, you know, they're, they're truth checkers, right? And then I would agree with that, right? That it's possible to do some truth checking, but that's not what, what they're doing, right? It seems like these fact checkers obviously have a political bias. And, I, you know, I'd love to run through some examples maybe that would, would show this. I don't know if you guys have favorite ones, but my personal favorite was during the 2016 election when Donald Trump said, Hillary Clinton acid washed these emails, you know, 33,000 emails, she acid washed them, you know, rather than uh, give them over to the Department of Justice. And it's still up on factcheck.org. If you go to factcheck.org, it will say, presidential nominee Donald Trump falsely claimed that Clinton acid washed 33,000 personal emails to delete them. Instead, Clinton's tech team used Bleachbit, which is a free software program. It did not use chemicals. Like, do they think that like Trump is a like? What would it even mean to dip an email in acid? Like, it's like saying he murdered you know the you know the real numbers or something. Like it's a it's a complete to even make sense of what he's saying, which you should. In any act of interpretation, you should try to at least make what somebody is saying intelligible. If what he's saying is intelligible, then it's obviously true that she washed the emails in the sense of got rid of them, right? Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's not the fact that this fact check is blatantly false that I find so galling, or it's not the fact that it is false that I find so galling. It's how blatantly false it is and how blatantly partisan it is, right? That, uh, oh no, it's it's actually, like, due to this turn of phrase he used, the whole claim is false and therefore she's absolved of, you know, whatever. So I think when you see stuff like this, you just realize, and it's, it's visceral that, you know, call it fact-checking if you want, but if this is what you mean by fact-checking, then I no longer have any uh, respect for fact checking or the fact that the, the or <laughs> that something has been fact checked doesn't give it any more credibility when I read it anymore. Um, so it's a kind of it's a kind of collapse. It's a symptom of the collapse of trust in the corporate press. Yeah, and I want to take maybe even one step further here beyond saying that just it's difficult to engage in truth checking, maybe impossible to engage in, in fact checking that they don't do it. I actually even think the motivation is not real. I don't think that we need to have a truth checking or a fact checking system in place uh, for most of the, the things that we're looking at. So like what percentage of the country is falling for false news? You might say, oh, a lot of people believe this crazy story, that crazy story. 
But let's, you know, the, the classic example of this is like oftentimes in there's a New York Times article that's talking about the ads that Russia bought in Facebook in 2016. And of course, the New York Times article is saying this is a very you know terrible thing that Russia bought these ads and is trying to influence our election. One of the memes here that Russia, again, the country of Russia paid to advertise on Facebook was a meme that shows Satan that and it says, if I win, Clint wins and Jesus is arm wrestling and says, not if I can help it. Uh, and of course, the, the classic, please like to help Jesus win uh, at the bottom. This is the sort of thing that goes around on Facebook. And it might make the rounds, you know, there, I guess, 29 shares. That's not even that many. Like maybe people react to these things. But the, the point is, this doesn't actually change anybody's mind. And I think that's basically true of fake news, too. Everyone sort of understands that you have to take stories with a grain of salt. Maybe they say they believe all stories from X source or Y source, but I think everyone kind of naturally adjusts with some expectation, like Fox News is a little bit right-leaning, shocker. And like, if you read a headline out of them, it probably is a little bit, you know, neoconservative bents. MSNBC, if you read a headline from them, oh, it's probably going to be a little progressive bent, New York Times. And everybody knows this. Why do we need an industry that comes out and says, because of technicality X, Y, and Z, this article is maybe skewed a different direction than, you know, if it was a totally sanitized environment. Everybody knows this. I don't think you need a fact checker to say it. Yeah. And I think, as you said, the, that Clinton support there, like, you know, maybe a few people get a laugh out of it or think a little bit differently. But then I think of another fact that came up with the Clinton campaign, and that was the use of the word deplorables. And when I think about a fact, there was people live that heard her say it. It was then replayed like she clearly said it. It was a fact. And I think that did hurt her campaign in a significant way when that was, what was that? It seemed like it was a month or two out from the election sure. at that time. Yeah, something like that. And so to me, there's a fact that might have swayed something, but it had nothing to do with outside media coming up with memes and, and other things to help sway things. I, I think the 80-20 rule I have no evidence to support this, but it seems like it always resonates with me that 80% of the people for sure aren't swayed on something like that, maybe 20%. And so is that enough to swing an election or something? Probably not. But the uh, continual filtering of it, I think, is something from, you know, getting back to kind of freedom of speech and other arguments is something troublesome. So, yeah, another good example of this, I think, was the whole Hunter Biden laptop story that came out before the election that at the time was fact checked. It's like, this is, you know, this is not true. This is false. People actually got banned from Twitter for uh, promoting this story. And I think the New York Post got their account frozen for, you know, basically up until the election because they posted an article and the, the cited source was this Hunter Biden laptop story is unverified. Well, it's verified now. It was Hunter Biden's laptop. There's, there was stuff on it that, you know, you wouldn't want to see on your son's laptop. And I like, even if the story had been false, like who is the Hunter Biden laptop story really putting over the line? Like I was going to vote for Joe Biden until I knew his son, you know, did scummy things or I'm anti Joe Biden. But the fact that his son didn't do scummy things convinces me. I'm just totally unconvinced of this like romantic view of politics that people are like, updating with the median article or something like that. Uh, I, I just think like, you know, this is warfare that's not meant to win elections. It's <clears throat> warfare that's meant to 
you know, bolster arguments and egos and things like this. Yeah, Jeff- you mentioned the median. I think it's maybe interesting to bring up to the listeners of the median voter model that in a, for an election, you're, the, the two political parties should be trying to swing the median voter in a democracy if it's 50%, if you can swing the median your way. So that's the only person we really care about. And I, I think to get back to this, like, can't imagine the median voter like this is on the fringes that maybe back to my 80 20 idea and, and i think that's what you're saying is that there's just so few people that might be swayed by that i can't imagine that that few people is the median voter now, now i expect i expect from justin's face and i kind of expected going into this that i think justin disagrees with me so i'd be curious to not only do i disagree with you and disagree with you but i actually think you two think you agree with each other and you don't uh, <laughs> So Russ just said, like, this basket of deplorables comment right before the election seemingly hurt Hillary Clinton. And then it seems like Peter saying, oh, well, this Hunter Biden story, which was smothered by the press, right? Um, the great line from Iowa Hawk is that the purpose of the corporate press is to cover stories with a pillow until they stop moving. And that is exactly <laughs> what happened in this case. But it seems like Peter's saying that this, this story was smothered and therefore we did uh, the average people didn't find out the sorted contents of Hunter's laptop but it wouldn't have mattered anyway yeah and I, so I do agree with that. and I think these two claims are obviously intention and that they both show a kind of an exposing of the elite and their contempt for the average voter which I, I don't think you get both of those claims together that the basket of deplorables things hurt Hillary, but uh, Hunter's laptop wouldn't have hurt Hunter. I, I disagree. I, I mean, I hear it's coming right from the horse's mouth of the person we're voting on, whereas Peter brought up the distance between son impacting dad. The with, emails with, with on that laptop came right out of her mouth. From referencing the big guy, right? There's stuff that directly Im- implicates Biden on there. I don't so. think it was direct enough with the big guy. There was enough mystery behind it. He's not that big. I think you're grasping at straws. No, Russ. no <laughs> I, I, I think I'm, so there's, there is some tension here, but I, I think I'm more willing to side on the idea that I don't think these stories have like electoral, story smothering has like electoral motivations, basically. I don't think that Facebook is trying to, in their fact checkers or, you know, political facts. I don't think these people are trying to do the bidding of the, the left wing or if there's a right-wing fact checker out there, I don't think there are. But if there were, I don't think they're trying to do the bidding of the Republican Party to get them elected. I think that they're trying to promote a certain narrative because that's what encourages like their user base to spend time on the website. There's other narratives that discourage the user base from spending time on the website. So to me, lefties don't want to log into Twitter when there's uh, trending on Twitter a story about Hunter Biden because they get frustrated that you know there's a bad story about their guy. That, that's my take on it. Well, that looks like a good spot to bring us to a wrap of the first half that we can jump back into. Uh, we can talk about the uh, motivations of maybe individuals as well as how well organized the Facebook giant is and centrally planning some of this stuff versus maybe just uh, rogue uh, fact checkers and other people within the organization doing their thing. So we'll be back in just a bit. The Wharton Institute at Ottawa University has created a competition called PPE Fest for high school students. It'll be this December 3rd and 4th, Friday, Saturday. We have travel expenses covered up to $300. Uh, Some great speakers, uh, both national and internationally known. 
and you have a $500 scholarship to Ottawa University as part of your participation. If you know some high school students that might be interested in a program like that, check out our website. All right, so we're back. Um, Peter left us off with uh, thinking about, uh, I think whether Facebook, is, is it profit motivation or is it really true political bias? What do you think, Peter, that's coming out of Facebook? So I, I think it is profit motivation. I think that could actually be compatible, though, I want to be clear, with uh, trying to win the election for someone. And so Facebook could think that winning Hunter Biden, the election is going to make them a lot of profits because maybe Donald Trump is like anti-Facebook or something. So that's like actually compatible. But I think even more specifically, I think the profit maximizing that's going on is they're trying to increase user time and that's what's getting them the profits. I don't think they care about the electoral outcome or can influence them. And kind of we were talking in the break, I, I, think I look at Facebook and, and news channels as more like ESPN than actual news. I think that's why people watch the news. I, I, I don't think they're look looking for truth. Yeah, I like your ESPN analogy. They just, we just want some entertainment. We might kid ourselves into saying it's edutainment or something, but our our human bias of confirmation bias of just looking for information we want to know, and then that bolsters our claim that the way we think is the is the best way to think helps sell ads, right? Helps yeah. keep your eyeballs on the Facebook or on whatever social media you're looking at, and that. It circles back to the to the profit motive. The customer's happy and they're happy with money and it's a win-win situation, yay market, until we learn that these algorithms seem to be pumping out things to maybe uh, teenagers that are struggling with their weight or something. And then the computer or otherwise is giving information that's detrimental to people at a, at a human level. And then all of a sudden that's not too cool. So Luke, you had some of a quote from, from the article? Yeah, and not to disagree with you, Peter, but I think there's definitely... Uh, I'm going to disagree with okay. you. That's I'm going to disagree with you just a little bit then. I think there's definitely a chance for Facebook to at least influence an election. And at least this article has some good... I'm just going to quote. It says, the fact-checking check farce reached its apotheosis in October of 2020 when the New York Post obtained damning information from Hunter Biden's laptop detailing Biden's family of corruption. Twitter immediately blocked the link to the New York Post story, prohibiting it from being shared by anyone. And Facebook immediately announced that they were going to bother, weren't going to bother with the charade of waiting to fact check the story before censoring it. Quote in the, from the Facebook's communication director, Andy Stone, uh, he says, while, I'm intentionally, while I will not intentionally not link to the New York Post, I want to be clear that this story is eligible to be fact checked by Facebook's third party fact checking partners. In the meantime, we are reducing its distribution on our platform. So that was right during the election for Biden. And then it goes on to say, was that decision to bury such a damaging story about corruption involving the man who's now president of the United States decisive in an election that was essentially decided by 40,000 votes out of 159 million cast? Well, journalists seem to think so. So I would never be one to say, I told you so. So Luke just told you so. Uh, <laughs> I actually think that Peter, correct me if I'm wrong, but I take your position to be something like people watch the news for the same reason they watch entertainment. It's just entertainment. And that this usually won't swing a vote. And I think that what I think is that people ought, that people do watch the news for that reason to be entertained. But I also think that this is where people do get their information and that people ought, ought to realize that they're watching the news for the same reason they watch entertainment, but they don't. 
And so one of the things that I think the news can do is do something like set the terms of the debate. Sure. And I think that the re- the reason people vote the way that they do often is because of the way the terms of the debate are set. Now, what I think everybody tries to look back to this like yesteryear of like when the news was just the facts, right? Yeah. And now everybody looks and real and can see that the news is this kind of super opinionated, hyper opinionated thing. And that is why these fact checkers are brought in because they'll say, well, even though the news does this, we can have these fact checkers that play the role that the news used to fulfill, right? Yeah. And I think uh, my position is that we ought to realize that these fact checkers are no better than the new than the news that they are attempting to fact check, right? That it is just WWE all the way down. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. I, um, I, th- I think this is a good point. And I, I think, I don't know if convinced is the right word, but I think the reframing is, is correct that I don't, I still don't believe that anybody is in any significant way swayed by fake news. I, I don't believe that. I don't think fact checking is necessary because I think most people know when they're reading you know, flaming trash, and they might not admit that they know it. Uh, that's something like, you know, I think a lot of the people who say they're Q people, like actually just want to be Q people, and it's fun for them, like that sort of thing. But I do think that it does have an effect in, in the sense of like moralization and demoralization, right? In the same way, like sports does, like you watch your team week after week, and if they're losing every week, you stop tuning in eventually. And so I do think that there's something there of like, if we can, you know, keep a particular thing out of the news, that would be demoralizing, maybe more of our people who do like a show up. I'm willing to concede something like that, but, uh, and I, I would say, I, I agree with you even more in the tone setting, because I, I think one of the things, and Russ, I think you're going to want to touch on this too, but one of the things I really dislike about fact-checking is like, there's an innumerable number of facts that we could check, <laughs> uh, but someone is making decisions about what facts to check. And so let's go back to the Hunter Biden laptop story again. I Googled this, I Googled PolitiFact Hunter Biden laptop story, because I wanted to find out what they currently say about it. I cannot find a fact check of just the laptop story. What I did find is a false fact check that is fact checking. And and I'm going to censor this a little bit because the language is a little extreme. But Hunter Biden, this is the claim. Hunter Biden had 25,000 pics of him torturing and assaulting children under age 10 in China on his laptop. And they say, this is false. (laughs) It's like, of course it's false. You you find a random Facebook post. You say this one is false. And the the implication (laughs) is that, well, this Hunter Biden laptop story is just like, there's nothing to it. It's like, but they refuse to actually fact check, you know, the fact that there were pictures of Hunter Biden with, uh, we'll say illicit, you know, doing illicit activities. Well, there's no fact check about that. Why? You can always make Democrats tell the truth if you sample on the true statements that they say, and always make Republicans lie if you sample on the false statements they say. And there is no way to check this. Like, I, I guess if you took every statement that everybody said and measured them all, you could figure out if there was bias going on. But apart from that, you know, the, the who checks the fact checkers? Well, nobody can check this. This is beyond like human capacity. Though. Yeah. Somebody got lambasted in the, I think this was political. It, those were your facts. I can't remember. The, I don't know if you guys remember, but some politicians said, alter, those are, alter, we have alternative facts or something like that. Trump's they got, press secretary. Yeah, they got completely lambasted. And yeah. in a lot of ways, it was, I thought, kind of unfair because they're, they're, they were, you know, granted, you know, something that was completely falsifiable is one thing. But really, when we talk about facts, we're talking about things that, Maybe it was a statistic. And yeah. I like to tell my students, statistics don't lie, but liars use statistics, right? And so 
you could frame something with a statistic that's actually can be fact-checked and true, but it's still misleading or misinformation. Yeah. Killian Conway. Oh, was it yeah. Killian Conway? And so I, I thought she kind of got unfairly yeah. treated on that one because I think the way we talk about facts is that there, there can be evidence on both sides. I mean, I think mm-hmm. whether it's environmental issues or now we've got COVID and there's evidence here and evidence there. And those are facts in the sense that it's a study that shows this is how we think it worked, or this is some evidence that the world works this way. But then there's other researchers that have it maybe a different way. And their studies might be, you know, peer-reviewed journals and all of that jazz. And and the evidence just is what it is, that there might be a lot of uncertainty or noise or volatility or whatever the case is. So I think one of the best examples of this is the recent treatment of ivermectin. Yeah. Right? Because if you say ivermectin and you say, how is it referred to in the press? What you'll find is it's referred to as a horse dewormer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, right. Is it true that ivermectin is a horse dewormer? Right. Yes, it is used for deworming yeah. horses. Is it also used in humans? Yes. Yes, the person who won a Nobel Prize yeah. for developing yeah. ivermectin. It really helps deworming humans, which is a very real thing that you have to do. Is it effective in treating treating COVID? I don't know. So there's some studies, and interestingly, these studies actually come out of places where there is a very big problem with worms in humans. Mm-hmm. So it might just be that it's helping these people survive the worm problems or whatever. Right? I, I will I will say the the first study that really came out about this found actually that it works in, in, in vitro. And so when you put COVID in a test tube, you put the ivermectin in and it destroys it. Now, there is a question like how much ivermectin would you need to have that effect in a person? That's a different question. But, you know, there is evidence that it works to destroy COVID, like clear laboratory evidence. Yes. Uh, But independent of any of the evidence either way on this, what you find is that you will find people saying, well, we've, you know, according to the fact checkers, um, so-and-so is taking a horse dewormer. And a right. fact check will look at that and say, well, it's true That's because true. it is a horse dewormer, mm-hmm. right? It's just like the, oh, well, it shouldn't bleach your email. It was a bleach bit thing, right? Yeah. That's, and so how you, it's not just that something can be true or false. It's the description that you use to identify something that can make a claim, you know, look, it can be true, but still misleading, mm-hmm. right? It's misleading to call ivermectin a horse dewormer for the same way it would be misleading to call aspirin, you know, a donkey painkiller. We give aspirin to donkeys. That doesn't mean we only give aspirin to donkeys. But, but by the way, and, and again, maybe not everybody mm-hmm. behaves this way, but I imagine at least a lot of people do. When I heard all the hype about ivermectin being a, a horse dewormer, I just assumed that this was a lie. I basically said, okay, all these people are saying it's horse dewormer. There's something else to this story. I don't even need to look into it. That, like that's how, that's how easy it is to parse out now, like media falsehood. Yes. Uh, but the other thing that I think is really interesting in the ivermectin is horse dewormer thing is that you could hear this ivermectin is a horse dewormer from like 360 degrees as soon as this uh, ivermectin might be a possible treatment came out. And I think it's interesting. And, uh, you know, I owe this, you know, owe this point to, you know, the late great uh, Michael Malice, who said, isn't it interesting that everybody called it a horse dewormer? Ivermectin also is used as a cat dewormer. It's used as a dog dewormer. You know, the fact that everybody has the same information that's that's misinformation Mm -hmm. is interesting. And that seems to indicate that everybody else is downstream 
from something else. Yeah. And so this is a way in which I think you get these first fact checks that then every news organization refers back to, and they set the entire terms of the debate. Um, when everybody is calling it a horse dewormer, when it's a horse dewormer, a cat dewormer, a dog dewormer, a people dewormer, et cetera, right. you think, who is everybody getting this information from? This is weird. Yeah, yeah. there's a lack of media sources that are, are the, the ultimate source of it, that they're all just peddling secondhand stuff. They get fed downstream. And so the pyramid is pretty thick and wide in terms of how many people it reaches that quickly. And it becomes clear that they're not <clears throat> independent of each other. Right. Right. Uh, right. So, so I have a question, Justin, on this, and this might take us to a different podcast someday. So if you don't think it's answerable now, that's fine. Part of, so I think what we've settled on is basically the main function of fact checks and like news curation, things like this are like agenda setting. You know, like let's set the agenda, set, set the terms of the debate we want to set them. I think you put it a, a good way. One thing I like implicitly understand is you don't combat someone who's setting the terms of debate by accepting those terms and then fighting them within the debate. That's usually not a very good way to do it because you've started at a disadvantage. So what does it look like to combat this sort of misinformation, this attempt to, well, we're going to fact check in this way to set the terms up this way. So you have to fight us this way. What, what does combating this sort of thing look like? I kind of touched on this in our map territory discussion, where sometimes I actually think it's best to accept the terms mm-hmm. of the debate and not accept the rules of the debate, sure. right? which is... I'll accept, you know, uh, oh, okay, it's a fact that ivermectin is a horse dewormer. Great, that's a fact. You know what's also a fact is that it's a people dewormer and that it's, you know, so I think the the implicit rule that people are operating in in the fact-checking debate is like there can be only be one fact about these particular yeah. things, right? So um, if you want to fight the fact-checkers on that, you don't fight the fact, right? You don't say, well, it's not a fact that it's a horse dewormer. It plainly is, right? But you can say, you seem to be thinking that, you know, there is only one true way to describe everything. And that's blatantly false. Doesn't the fact checker meet the territory though? So I'm thinking I'm the person who wants to hear that the laptop stuff was fake. The fact checker throws out some garbage that framing it in such a way that it's fake. I hear what I want to hear and I'm done. Um, so is that kind of part of the... The fact checker, checker is the person who is supposed to be ideally in touch with the territory and telling you what the territory really is, right? But then when they give you the territory, they, by uh, necessity, give you another map, yeah. right? And the point is, we can have a bunch of different maps of the same territory. We can have a bunch of different maps that actually truthfully describe the same territory, even though the maps look different. Yeah. yeah, I think this is I accepting the terms and fighting them. I think this is sometimes a good strategy and sometimes not. I think I, you're right. And, and so like uh, the Q example is another good example where like I think that so, sometimes people will say, OK, you say I'm a Q person. I'll be a Q person then. And I'm just going to be proud of being a Q person. And this is sort of an example of doing that strategy that you said is let's accept the terms and then like totally blow it up by saying, but it's acceptable to be this, that or the other. I think that actually that is sometimes a valuable way to do things, but you also risk defining yourself where people make a really bad mistake here in in the extreme. I don't know anyone who's done this, but I'm sure it's happened is like, if you're called a racist over and over, and then one day you're like, fine, you know what, if you want to call me that, I am that. That's where you've really made an error, I think, because you've you've sort of uh, 
to the rest of society, we can say you've surrendered the debate actually by accepting the terms. Like you, there's no way you can win a debate as a racist because our, our society has moved past accepting the ideas of racism. Yes. And even if you have this, you say, and by racist, I mean, blah, blah, blah. Right. right? And you have this, they're just going to cut that soundbite and you will yes. be referred yeah. to as, you know, so-and-so self-described racist says, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then you're going to be ignored. And yeah. that's hundred percent. What yeah. you've said is hundred percent correct. I think they're able to play up our, our rational ignorance too, that to, to set all the terms and to do all that is, is a lot of work that ultimately isn't worth doing on one vote. That's not going to matter. So I just want to listen to what I want to listen to. And so I think that the trade-offs there, it's like we're having this academic debate of how, how it should look, but it's never going to work that way in reality because of other factors and other things about our lives that are much more important than the costs and benefits of, of this social media blast. So Yeah. Yeah. And, and I to give, I know we're running close to time here, but to give like one more example that I think is effective in day-to-day life is I'm seeing this with vaccines right now that they're trying to change the definition of being anti-vax to someone who is skeptical of the coronavirus vaccine, even for your kids, right? Like ages five to 11, mm-hmm. you don't get the COVID vaccine for your kids, you're anti-vax now. There is a strong temptation, I think, to say, fine, I will be anti-vax. And I understand that temptation, but I don't think people should do this, assuming they're not anti-vaccine like in other cases. So like I give my kids all the recommended vaccines except occasionally flu shot. I'm back and forth on the flu shot. It depends on the year, depends on whether or not it's succeeding that year. And I'm not going to do the COVID vaccine for my kids. I I don't think that that is like, there's evidence to say that this is a thing that in the long term is very safe, but I do things that have been around a long time. So like polio, and I actually don't even know if I get polio vaccines. This speaks to my ignorance, but I do follow the normal schedule. So I I guess what I'm saying is I be wary of accepting terms uh, that aren't your own because Sometimes they put you outside the window of reasonable discussion, uh, whether you like that or not. I'd like to live in a society where we can have a reasonable discussion about whether or not it's safe to do a particular vaccine. But we don't live in that society when it comes to a lot of vaccines. And so if you are willing to take those vaccines on and just aren't willing to do one of them, don't accept the terms that you're now anti-vax because this new vaccine you're not willing to do. That's well, opinion. I'm not sure we got any, any place on this, but um, I, I think the one the one spot we got to was that uh, the polarization, I think, is the biggest factor that comes about with the way uh, fact-checking and uh, media headlines are disseminated to us. Um, I think it was a lot easier. Justin was bringing up the old days when we had just the major news channels. At least everybody was feeding on those channels, and now it's much more dispersed and customized to keep our eyeballs on those channels. And, and I think that's where this gets heated is with the polarization because we're we're getting news that we want to hear we stop short because of our own confirmation and biases and and don't see what others are seeing that might be on the other side of the political spectrum all right well with that luke i want to end it with some uh, facebook data so it says facebook now funds more than 80 different fact checkers and has spent 84 million dollars on the program to date they believe the program is working because they have 63% of people thinking that it's fairly applied <laughs> uh, with, within their site. And then 74% of people thought they saw the right amount of fact checking. So that still leaves 37% of their users that believe that their fact checking is not fairly applied. Hmm. All right. Well, we'll leave that with the last word. This has been a production of the Gorton Institute here at Ottawa University. We'd like to thank you all for listening. Please give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. It helps other people find our show. Other than that, be fruitful and multiply. Thanks.